sometimes inside a dithyram to the 5 freeway. Hello, this is Eddie Justiniano, and you're listening to Mad River Anthology. This is indeed the Mad River Anthology, and I'm your host, Brent Jenkins. So I had this idea. I would send my friend, the poet and philosopher Eddie Justiniano, who lives in Los Angeles, an MP3 player. He would take the MP3 player and read poetry into it. The show, as always, would be 30 minutes long. Other than that, there were no constraints. The concept was perfectly democratic. The form, sufficiently interesting. I thought, hey, maybe this could be a whole new type of program. I could send other poets MP3 players. The possibilities, really, were endless. Now, the only drawback is the sound quality is not pristine, but still, how else would we have achieved the roar of Los Angeles's 405 Freeway, a song-poem duet, music by Pharaoh Sanders and Alice Coltrane. Lastly, tonight's show has many delights, not the least of which is the presence of Eddie's girlfriend, conceptual artist Jan Smale, who, in essence, sings back up here. Confection. I lemon, she egg. Who would think we should meet? I curdle, she sets. We both sun, we both fruit, we both seed. From around the world we meet, rind and shell. Yellow over white, white over yellow. I tart, she sulfur. We nourish, we flavor, we give. Aguas de Marco, Jovim. That's the end of the road. It's the rest of the stump. It's a little alone. It's a sliver of glass. It's life, it's the sun. It is night, it is death. It's a trap, it's a gun. The oak when it blows, a fox in the brush, a knot on the wood, a song of the thrush, a wood of the wind, a cliff and a fall, a scratch a lump, there's nothing at all. It's a wind blowing free, it's the end of the slope, it's a beam, it's a void, it's a hunch, it's a hope. The foot, the ground, the flesh and the bone, the beat of the road, a slingshot stone, a fish, a flash, a silvery glove, a flight in a bay, the range of a bow, the bed in a well, end of the line, the dismal face, a lost sense of fine, spear and a spike, a point, a nail, a drip, a drop, the end of the tail, a truckload of bricks in the soft morning light, shot of the gun in the dead of the night, a mile a must, a thrust a bump, a girl a rhyme, it's a month, 
the plan of the house, the body in bed, the car that got stuck, it's the mud, it's the mud. A float, a drift, a flight, a wing, a hark, a whale, a promise of spring. The river bank walks and the waters of March in the promise of life. It's the joy in our hearts. 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 Stone, it's, it's the end of the road, it's the rest of the stump, it's a thorn in your hand, it's a snake in a stick, it's a John and the Joe, it's a thorn in your hand, and a cut in your toe, a point and a grain, a bee and a bite, a blink in the blizzard, a sudden stroke of night, a pin, it's a sliver of Pow, now. Sting, pain, snail, riddle. A big wasp. cow. <laughs> hoe. A hoe and a dog and a cat and a foe. Pass in the mountains, a horse and a mule. In the distance, the shelves rode through the night. <laughs> And the river talks and the waters of March in the promise of life in your heart, in your heart. Stick a stone, the end of the road, the rest of the storm, the lonesome road. Now I have a special guest, Jan Smale, doing my drift. Oh my gosh, it's a drift. Have you it's ever been swift on a drift, drift in LA? Going Oh my gosh, so many mountains of LA. So much velocity. I can't believe it. I can't feel a thing in LA. I only see the street. I only feel the metal rig go by. Usually it says Matson. Maybe it says something else. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I must be short. I lost my path. I'm lost in LA. This is a translation of Returner into Spanish. It's called Viajero de Vuelta. Por la Riviera Arenal Oigo un suspiro por encima de las plegables oleadas. Una alma luciente brinde en nuestro honor. Conozco el canto sin poder oír las palabras. Oigo la música la cual in su presencia se desenvuelve. 
conozcará esta canción. Pijero de vuelta, de a dónde naciste y cómo llegaste aquí. Tal vez quizás te espera una canoa, a donde el azul cimado en lazos espumosos se estrella violentamente al aire, a donde madre caricia hijo y la juventud reproduce la eternidad. ¿Cómo llegaste a esta orilla? Te oigo el suspiro, me recordaré esta canción, traigaremos el amanecer al día, viajero de vuelta. Tamaltopoes This wine must be made of hearts and tongues. I drink of it. There is passion. Talk flows freely. This wine goes straight to my inner ears, the crown of the head. I, a view surrounded by clouds, a monumental weight cradled in an ash, aloft on warm breezes, the glasses lift a toast in time's honor. This wine drinks itself. The professor professes, as is his profession. Fascinated by what he had seen, Jay decided to take it further, just to see really how far he could go. He started out by posing basic questions to himself. He answered these questions directly and simply, as if he was reinventing the wheel. In this way, he would build his conjecture. Once his conjecture was built, he could step right into it and take it for a test drive. Before you tell others the story, you must first tell it to yourself. But if the story does not yet exist, then you have to create it. Can we really create stories, or do we simply borrow them? Perhaps we borrow elements from a type of story collective that exists in a virtual space within access of our culture. So there really is no true creating per se, but only templates of story elements. This means that writers are collage artists. This idea would fit neatly with Burroughs and Geisen's cut-up method, and with Olipo's use of axioms and formal systems. It all smacks of Plato's idols, the forms, and the theory of the forms and ideas, but he decided to stop there and to go find Frigolotti instead and ask him directly. He figured that if anyone would know, it would have to be the distinguished Limon Frigolotti. Seeing as he is both a professor and a figment of the imagination. He closed his eyes and after a few moments, the path in the woods emerged from a murky haze of memory. He began to follow it first with his eyes and then by taking steps. At times he saw a shadow of himself walking, but most of the time it was a point of view perspective. 
He began to hear the crunching leaves and grit under his feet. He felt breezes through his hair and even smelled moss and decay. But mostly these sensations came with the attention he placed upon them and seemed to disappear with whatever else distracted him. He finally had to admit to himself that it was becoming harder to tell which came first, the thought or the sensation. He wondered how this was any different from any other walk in the woods. He wondered, he wondered this and he answered his questions with the observation that every walk in the woods was different one from the other. The woods and the walker are both dynamic systems. This meandering thought continued until Jay found himself facing a wall. This was no mere metaphor, but a true honest-to-goodness imaginary wall. It was made up of yellow bricks, and it was very tall. It stretched for as far as the eye could see through the trees to his left and to his right. Standing there perplexed, he posed to himself yet another question. Well, what can a wall be if not a road standing up for itself? And with this, he decided to follow the yellow brick wall. Without a path, but only a wall to follow, the woods became very thick. As anyone who has followed a wall in the woods knows, it is easier to walk a path, provided the path is well established, than it is to follow a wall, no matter how established the wall may be. The matter becomes troublesome when you consider how easy it is to lose one's path, but how very hard it is to lose a wall. Further deepening this paradox is the thought that one can find comfort in following a wall as a path by being certain of not losing one's path due to the difficulty involved in losing a wall. After trudging along through the thick understory, getting his clothes snagged on branches and brambles, and getting poked and scratched for over an hour, Jay was tired and itchy. His sneakers had become pointless as footwear. They held their weight in ground litter, spiders, and centipedes. In fact, the, his whole body had gained vegetable weight from the deer trail he was, had trudged along the wall for some miles. He pictured himself as a stumbling scarecrow and feeling lost. He had to admit the possibility of having only straw and leaves between his ears. Stepping out into a clearing in the woods did little to help his desperation. It seemed that the wall stretched on and on, disappearing only into the illusion of the horizon. The one possible hope presented by the newly opened view lay in a tiny figure sitting precariously on the wall some 100 yards away. Jay's face lit up at this new prospect. Maybe he'll know a way through, or at least he'll help me over. And so, powered by this newfound hope, Jay ran and stumbled down to the strange figure. Hello, hello, he cried out to the figure, but the figure simply waved back at him and after a moment looked away out over the grasslands. Hello, he cried again. The figure seemed to be that of an old man, and without a care in the world, he gave a quick little wave back, and that was it. Jay was taken aback by the little man's lack of concern over his plight. 
It was like the little man had no feelings at all, except for that smug gaiety and the vivacious quality in his bearing that seemed to celebrate the sublime pageant of the wilderness before him. Indeed, what kind of sociopath is this? Jay mused, clenching his thought between his teeth so as not to blurt it out. Hey there! He yelled out instead, losing his footing and rolling down the convenient incline. This managed to save him a good 12 feet of stumbling. Finally stopping at the bottom, he managed to take a good look at himself and noticed that he was covered from head to toe in mosses, bark, dirt, ants, pine needles, and millipedes. He looked like a short Sasquatch or forest incarnate. Looking up from his prone position, he saw that the man on the wall was almost directly over him. It was then that he realized that that man was Limon Frigolotti. Hey, was all Jay could think of saying after his ordeal. Frigolotti looked at him in disbelief and then replied in an unexpected manner. Hey is for horses and you sure smell like one. Trying to regain his composure and establish a better relationship with the good professor, Jay stood up and brushed off the leaves and litter, then proceeded to introduce himself. Where are my manners? Uh, I'm known hereabouts as uh, Jay, the wild man of the woods. The old man looked at him quite incredulously and without introducing himself, asked the young man a question. You are a bit of a wordsmith, aren't you? Jay wondered just how much Frigolotti could know about him. The fact that the old man was a character from Jay's thoughts and therefore a type of artificial intelligence did not mean he could not know things about this author, his author. On the contrary, he is most likely chock full of unconscious data. Well, I do dabble here and there, and this and that, but, you know, and Frigolotti interrupted his evasiveness. When you were an adolescent, you employed a word that, unbeknownst to you, never existed. Jay laughed, although he felt a little uneasy with the direction this conversation was taking. Which word? I mean, there must have been plenty. Limon paused for effect before answering, then released the single word, Dwelve. For a moment there was silence, except for the rustling of leaves while Jay scratched his head in befuddlement for almost a minute. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was in my college days. Theron, in the dorms. Yeah, he caught me, and I was embarrassed. But he was right, there's no such word. I know it was Theron who was wrong. Frigolotti firmly asserted his opinion. The word dwelve forms a fine portmanteau with quite a distinct meaning. Formed from the word delve, meaning to dig, to search, and from the word dwell, meaning to reside and to abide within, the word dwelve can certainly be seen to mean to stay deeply in your search, to live in deep examination. So you see, 
although mutant and therefore aberrant to some, it has a type of beauty and can fit within meaning. Mount Hollow The center of the world used to be marked by a tree. Then for a long time it was a smoking crater. Don't ask me what happened, how it came to be an asteroid, a war, some trickster's idea of a joke. I don't know. About seven years ago, they completed work on the house. I live there now. Sometimes you can still smell the smoke, just a faint whiff, coming from the old ground beneath into which the basement was directly built. The neutral, they all amass here. They hang to the walls like gargoyles. Where can they go now that they have decided to stay and not cross the road? The roads that go to the other side. The door was closed, locked. I had yet to reach it, but I knew. I knew it was as much a wall as a door. On this side, the jungle of the rainforest, Amazons, birds of paradise and spider monkeys. On the other side, the center of the world. Walk Earth Afire Parting the morning's dew Rise a body blue to red Red to blue Right outside of time Eyes the traveler Smoke of reflection Sigh weighted by recurrent vision Time shakes dreamers awakening and it's because they are not in love. Parting's earth and angel glide. Fields of sound rumble flash by. The way is upside down and leads back. Intent and gaze. Feed into themselves and back. The void shudders, trembles in to low tones and go slack and why should you care until you're there now I'll miss you forever when you're first gone and years later before you're gone and while you're waiting before we meet and even when as if it never happened because of that moment outside of it all when your heart broke and you escaped yourself and through it the world but your eternal and lightning strikes the next world sound shatters refusing container smoke rises to trumpets and harps for you the other all meanings participating, living waterfall, 
a thousand stars resurfacing in the velvet walls of space. This is from the Frolic Wiesenkraft, La Gaia Sensia, The Gay Science, by Friedrich Nietzsche. How greedily this wave approaches, as if it were after something. How it crawls with terrifying haste into the innermost nooks of this labyrinthian cliff. It seems that it is trying to anticipate someone. It seems that something of value, high value, must be hidden there. And now it comes back, a little more slowly, but still quite white with excitement. Is it disappointed? Has it found what it looked for? Does it pretend to be disappointed? But already another wave is approaching, still more greedily and savagely than the first, and its soul too seems to be full of secrets and the lust to dig up treasures. Thus live waves. Thus live we who will more i shall not say the flyer the living writhing endogenic recursion in wound and inviolate is soon to be enmeshed more machine than method more braid than story more prion than myth what part will you play in its cataclysmic enfolding? It is the organon, and it is yet only sleeping. What are the details of its awakening? Let us answer the basic questions. Where? It can inhabit any space, and all barriers are semi-permeable membranes to it. It seems to have left its footprint on mythic time. Within the dynamics of real time, its machinations may prove to be even more fluid and perhaps less evident because of this. How? It appears by virtue of its mimetic structure and newospheric navigation and by other means that are as of yet unknown. When there are rumors that fossil evidence of its prior inflorescence exists, leading investigators in the field to believe that it is cyclic but never wholly dormant as a phenomena. Consider the words of Hyman Croupier of the Third Chamber. Quote, it may be that it is spectral, or only weakly manifested, but it may be better said that it is sentient and in a state of incubation, much like an ant larva, ready to inherit an existent and successful structure of high organization.
You've been listening to the Mad River Anthology. My guest tonight, Eddie Houstiniano. I've been your host, Brent Jenkins. If you have questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. The Mad River Anthology airs the second and fourth Sundays of the month at 10 p.m. and is produced for KHSU, located at Humboldt State University, Arcata, California. <laughs>